our children up to second grade, which is like seven years old, up to second grade, are heading out with um, Mary and her team to spend some time together. And I bet you they would know uh, one of the most famous songs. I wonder if you can, I wonder if you would know it. I wonder if you actually would be able to finish it. It's a famous song. It's a life-changing song. Revolutionized the world, some would say. Goes like this. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> you don't know it? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful to be a neighbor. Sure I will. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Right? It's a powerful song. Who, who sang that song? Mr. Rogers, right? Well, you know, Mr. Rogers, it's no wonder that he said this. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. What happens if at the end of my life, at the end of your life, all it said on my tombstone was, we looked for the helpers and we found him. And we found her. Yara Briggs says it this way, the world is looking for healers and when they look, will they see us? The world is looking for healers and when they look, will they see us. Well, to answer that question, to figure out how we can answer that question affirmatively, we actually look to a group that looks intoxicated in trying to find the answer to that. Who would have thought that a foretaste of God's healing for the world given to us would cause people to ridicule the Christ followers as being drunk? That's what happened. And I wonder, perhaps the world needs to look at the church today and come to the same conclusion. You say, Pastor, did you really just say that the church needs to look drunk? Did you really just say that? Well, to get our way there, let's go to maybe the most infamous construction site in all of the Bible. John? We don't know much about the Tower of Babel. We know very little, really. But we do know this. Here's the basic story. With fear-driven self-protection and selfish ambition, the people tried to build this great city and then erect this massive tower. We know that. It's the baseline of the story. But here's the other part of the story. We know that God looks like a divine killjoy because he comes in and he shuts the whole construction job down. He just shuts it down. Why would the God who desires us to be united deconstruct a seemingly unified people? Why would he do that? And I think the answer is this. 
They were unified around the wrong desires. They were unified around the wrong focus. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 11. It says this. The people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They wanted a name for themselves. They wanted to be on equal footing with God all the way to the heavens. They were at counter purposes to God's intention for his people to populate across the world, to scatter around the world as witnesses to his covenant grace and love. And what they did was they turned inward and they began to possess a fortress mentality. It could be said, I think, that we are living in the more of a Tower of Babel world than the kingdom of God world. We breathe the air of Babel. We swim in the water of Babel. A world consumed with prosperity and accomplishment and performance and power and selfish ambition. Babel reveals the pride of exceptionalism and the idol of self-determination and the addiction of comparison and the absence of compassion and a fear that drives escapism that leads into protectionism. That's Babel. We swim in that. And the end result of all that, well, apparently, you read this scripture story and apparently God has little interest in people who seek to be so inwardly focused. This is the God who is prone to disrupt a safe spirituality that lives at cross purposes to what he desires. He interrupts their well-laid plan. They have a great plan, and he interrupts it. In verse 7, we read these words. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. That's the consequence of their wanting to turn inward. What's interesting is when we read those words that they will not understand each other, the word understand there is actually the Hebrew term shema, most famous for Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it, and it literally means, has more of an understanding of hearing or listening to. So in other words, what happened to these people as a result of their turning inward is they would not listen to each other. And when they wouldn't listen to each other, as we see recorded in biblical history, it ends up in a world of confusion and division and disintegration and demonization and when we don't hear each other. So here's the question. What healing is there for a world fractured like that? The world is looking for healers. When they look, will they see us? What's the answer? That's why we have Pentecost. This day when we break out red for a day, we adorn it, we talk about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the healing Holy Spirit for three weeks now. This is our third week. 
Pentecost is the answer to a fractured world. So I think it's very worthwhile for us to kind of go back in time and space and imagine us in an upper room and waiting for what only God in His Spirit can do. This is the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, that's Pentecost for 50 days after Easter. Today is the last day of Easter. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being uttered, being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, these guys have been drinking too much. They've had too much wine. They've been hitting the bottle early. And this is the word of the Lord. Yes, they thought they were drunk. Why? Because they could not get their heads around what they were witnessing. They couldn't get their heads around that what they were witnessing was actually what God wants in the world. How do I know that? You see, they saw what heaven would actually look like and they didn't know what to do with that. And this is what we read in the book of Revelation at the end of all things, when all things are made right. Therefore before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every nation, tribe, people, language. The flame, the flame coming in that upper room, touching the heads. The wind blowing through. I'm assuming it probably sounded like a freight train coming through. The tongues that are suddenly come out of, coming out of their mouths. But what if I told you that the true sign of the Holy Spirit is none of that? It's not some astonishing occurrence or manifestation. What if I told you that there is only one mention of tongues, but there are four mentions of the greater sign of Pentecost? Each one heard their own language being spoken. The Holy Spirit did a work that reversed the brokenness of Babel. Remember, they would not listen to each other. 
And he opened their ears to actually listen and to hear from one another. The Spirit-filled believers had a new capacity, a renewed capacity to hear. That's what the text says. In his book, The Listening Life, Adam McHugh makes this pretty profound statement to me. Listening is an act of servanthood. And serving is hard. Now, why is that important in a world that needs healing, as we've been talking about? Well, he goes on and quotes H. Jackson Brown, who says, Remember that everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something, and has lost something. Everyone you meet. And that's why this requires the deep work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just like hope can only be birthed by the Holy Spirit deeply in me, hope through me and through you and in our world can only be birthed by the Holy Spirit. In a world where everyone we meet is afraid of something, loves something, has lost something. Maybe that doesn't apply to you, but that sure applies to me. You see, the true miracle of Pentecost, it seems to me, is a unity, yes, but it's a unity that's birthed in humility. A miracle that should cause the world to look around at us when, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The world should looking, be looking at us and accusing us of being out of our mind drunk for even suggesting and working toward the idea of healing, the polarization of our world, the demonization, the politicizing, the scorn, the unhinged rage and rancor of our world. They should look at it and go, there's just no way that's possible. You guys are crazy. Or does the world look at me? I'm the church. You're the church. I'm the church. So does the world look at me and say, well, I'm not going to take that too seriously from him. Because in the name of Jesus, the church has too often joined in grabbing the sword and dividing and wounding in the name of Jesus. You see, the great miracle of Pentecost is God's provision in the power of his spirit to bring people together, even with all their differences, and empowering them with his presence for the healing of the world. Because the end result of Pentecost was they went into the world. Not with some grand project. They went into the world with the very presence of Christ in them, bringing that to the world. I want to take you back to Pentecost Sunday two years ago. May 31st. It was Pentecost Sunday where six days prior, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis. The coronavirus was starting to take real grip on our land. Violence and upheaval were marking the cities on Pentecost Sunday two years ago. 
This is just fact. There were actual flames in the streets. There were political flames. There were and are relational flames blistering our land and lives. At that time, Pastor Rich Velotis wrote these words. On Pentecost Sunday, parts of our country were up in flames. Flames of rage, pain, and flames burning for justice. Then he said, Pentecost is also the day we remember the flame of the Holy Spirit. Move forward two years. Pentecost 2022. The flames of horror at 211 mass shootings in the first 22 weeks of 2022. Foreign lands on fire with war crimes and suffering. Venomous rage filling social media. The stuff that's happening where the anxiety among especially our young is ramping up. We need the true miracle of the Holy Spirit's Pentecost in our lives. We need that. Rich Velotis goes on, he talks about that as a gift from God to empower us to cross barriers that are often too thick to break down on our own. Pentecost is the annual reminder that God has given the church the Holy Spirit not to satisfy our private, insatiable lust for more experiences, but to mark us as witnesses of Jesus' kingdom. Hear that. To mark me, to mark you as witnesses of Jesus' kingdom. A kingdom marked by love, justice, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So you see, we've got this whole idea of Pentecost and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I think, all turned upside down. Pentecost is not a spiritual, personal improvement plan. But it's the provision of the Holy Spirit to be filled by him for God's healing in the world. Any idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit that is solely individual is counterfeit. Any idea that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit simply for my own edification, not seeking to represent Jesus and his healing in the world, is fake. It's false. With Pentecost, we see that the healing of the world can happen by the power that works through us. I come back to the words of E. Stanley Jones we mentioned last week. Pentecost is not a spiritual luxury. It is an utter necessity for human living. The human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit fills. But our Western view of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you know, for the most part, is very individualized. In fact, much of our Christian life, much of our church life, is very individualized. It's very consumer-based. It's very turned inward towards what it's going to do for me. But what we see in Scripture is that the giving and the filling of the Holy Spirit is not intended to be individualistic at all. In fact, some of the final words of Jesus says before he's ascended, promising the Holy Spirit, promising the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 are these, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the big wide world. Now look at that closely. Look at that. Witnesses. Where? Well, first, in close, where it's comfortable. Jerusalem, Judea, in close. But then look where it goes next. To sworn enemies, the Samaritans. Those sworn enemies who are a different breed, a different race, a different, they're nothing like us. They're different. He says, there too. And then he says, the uttermost parts of the world. Witnesses. Different parts of the world, different ethnicities. Witnesses. And here's the kicker. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're to do witnessing. In the classic sense when we use that terminology. It says, be witnesses. And that word witness is basically the word martyr. So it means giving up my life. Giving up my life. Bringing that to real time, giving up our lives for what God ultimately desires for mankind. Forces a question. So what does God ultimately want to do? What does it look like when God does things, makes all things right? What does it look like when the world functions as God wants it to function? Well, we get a picture of that from the tree of life in the book of Revelation. In verse 2 of chapter 22, it says the tree of life's leaves, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The book of life, the tree of life, is for the healing of the nations. You see, Pentecost is intended for the healing of the world. It's so interesting to me, you see this long list. You have one verse, two verses that talk about all the manifestations, but then you have this long list in chapter 2 that talks about all these different people groups. From the Middle East, from Europe, from Africa, that's what you see there when you track them. It's beautiful, actually. This amazing picture. The cultures, the beauty of the languages, the history of the people. They're all brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills us then, as Richard Thompson says, we find the Spirit's enablement of the faithful people of God to live as God's servants on behalf of the rest of humanity. And I think this gives us kind of a picture of actually fulfilling what Jesus said about all this. Remember, he's praying, and the next day he's crucified. And he prays, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, and only then, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, without me surrendering my life to Him, we will always default to building towers. We're going to default to building towers and creating walls out of our own need for relevance and power and security 
We will always turn inward without the Holy Spirit. We'll always dial it inward. I know that's my propensity. So we need the Spirit to cleanse us of that inward, self-absorbed, self-centered focus. In fact, describing the Holy Spirit and really pointing back to the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter said this. We see it in Acts 15. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us for he purified their hearts by faith. He purified their hearts. Of what? Of that inward bent. That part in us that wants to go inward. It's been given how many different names, right? Our sinful nature, our carnal mind. You know, the old folks used to say, the old man. Well, now that I'm kind of an old man, I don't like that one. All right? That self-centered spirit. Cleansed. So I have a question to myself. Could it be that we do not see as many instances of healing of all kinds because we have need to be cleansed of the Tower of Babel's that we build within ourselves and around ourselves? Is it because I have done too much in my own strength based off of my own agenda according to my own wants that I need my heart to be cleansed by my self-preserving spirit? There is a term for that. We call that sanctification. Where we want God to cleanse us. I think that's something to consider. Do we not see these great movements of the Spirit? Because we're waiting for something out here when God's wanting to do something in here so that He can do something through us out there. Ron Rollheiser said this, any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. Hear that again. Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. We'll just pass it along. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred, we must be like water purifiers, holding the poisons and toxins inside of us and giving back just the pure water rather than being like electrical cords. Because you know what happens to a live electrical cord when you're laid in the water. right? You create a deadly situation. But a water purifier turns that dirty water into potable water, drinkable water. And that means joining the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. The Holy Spirit most often does not simply do something magically mysterious to heal the world's brokenness. He uses people. Teresa of Avila said this, these famous words, you know these, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Christ has no body on earth but yours. 
So during the plagues of the early centuries of the church, as the pagans were running out of the cities, afraid they would contract diseases from their loved ones, they abandoned their loved ones, and the Christians turned around and ran back. Even when the emperor was laying a death sentence on the pastors, they ran back. So John Wesley, our spiritual forefather, who he's famous for the great renewal in England in the 18th century, what he's not so famous for is that he built factories to help employ people so they wouldn't get thrown into debtor's prison. One of the biggest books he wrote was, believe it or not, a medical book on how to care for people. And he created ways and systems to be able to help people in need. Phineas Epperzee, the founder of, one of the founders of the Church of Nazarene, probably famous for that part, but you know, really, the Glory Barn, which was located in Pasadena, what they're really known for in their day, which got them in the most trouble, is they would hang out with those who were struggling with alcoholism, and they would care for the poor, and they would let anybody into their churches, when other churches around them wouldn't do that. Martin Luther King Jr. impacted our world, the world, when it comes to addressing the issue of racism in this country. Mother Teresa going and dragging people who were dying on the streets because their families would throw them on the streets of Calcutta and dragging them into a place where they weren't going to be healed. They weren't going to be cured. They were just going to die. But they weren't going to die alone. What am I saying? You see, God uses those people. God moves the Bonnie Gatchels of the world to attack sex trafficking in Boston. God uses the Rick Carters of the world to face down pornography. God uses the Lloyd Curtises of the world to stand with the homeless. God uses chaplains like Eddie Frost to stand with the dying and others. God uses the Andre Tactes and his family and brothers and sisters to bring Nazarene Compassionate Ministry supplies to those in the war zone in Ukraine where they live out compassion as a lifestyle. God uses single foster moms and families who have determined to foster children who often come from traumatized backgrounds and upbringings. God uses a Mary De Loretta to go serve people in addiction. God uses an Emily and Edward to try to care for those who are, are college students along with Becca Skane. God uses a Joe De Loretta to walk into uh, incarcerated, a place where teenagers have been incarcerated just to be with them. God uses a Bob to get a heart for prayer and service, and he does just that. And I could just, I could, I'm looking around this room, and I could just start listing names of people. God uses a John who his biggest burden at work is not getting his job done, but the pain and the suffering that his coworkers have. That's what the Holy Spirit does. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 2.4. And then what happened was the healing of the world began. Healing intended to be brought through the actions of those who dared to follow the king, who himself 
made himself nothing so that the world could have everything that God desires. A lot has been said in recent days about the murder of 19 children and two teachers in Evaldi, Texas. One of the things that's come out of that is a worn-out phrase that's been ridiculed. It's this phrase, you probably know it. We're offering you our thoughts and prayers. For some, that has become a, a source of scorn because it represents for them what they view as the standard retreat of Christians to patronizing spirituality that does nothing. I'm sure there's times, I know there's times when I've been guilty of that. Now I have to believe that the overwhelming majority of people, and I do believe, who say that, we offer you our thoughts and prayers, they genuinely mean that, and they mean well. Maybe they're stuck where I often get stuck at the point of, well, what do I do? But here's what we must see. Pentecost is not spiritual luxury intended for my own personal spiritual improvement plan. It is meant for the healing of the world. It's not meant for me to go, wow, that's a great idea. You do this. Here's the part where I'm wrestling in this series of sermons. This series is coming out of my own wrestling. As I look at my world, and most of my prayer time is crying out to God, saying, have mercy. And, and thinking about the wounds of my world and asking, okay, God, what am I to run to? What woundedness am I to run to? What brokenness am I to run to? I don't want to do that. None of us do. But what woundedness needs my healing, the healing of God through me? I can't do it. I can't. But that's why we need Pentecost. That's why we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is meant for the healing of the world. It is meant for me to be sent as Jesus was it means that you and me and us, we are for the healing of the world. The church exists for the world in that regard. We have to see that. And that's what happened with Pentecost. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us for the sake of the fractured world. Not just for ourselves. Yes, he wants to fill us and give us hope. Praise God wants to fill us and cleanse our hearts of that inward bent. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But may he fill us and cleanse us and empower us that we go into the world different people walking out of a different narrative of the love of God wherever we find ourselves, bringing God's hope wherever we find ourselves. That's why today we're going to close with communion together. With the table that unites us. At this table we come as one, and we come to the one of whom it was said, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
This table also points to God's call for us to be like Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So in a moment, we're going to participate in communion. I think we're going to put that prayer, I think I have a prayer up there. Is there a slide up there with a prayer, Ben? Is there? No? Put it up there. There you go. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pray this prayer, us to pray this prayer together as we prepare for communion. And then this is what's going to happen. Our pastors are going to come and we're going to have four stations. And for the first time in two and a half years, we are going to receive communion. We're going to have you come and we're going to distribute it to you. Wanting to be mindful and sensitive to one another, our pastors are going to hand you the, the elements. We're going to sanitize our hands and we're going to hand you the elements as you come. We also have gluten-free communion, if that's what you need. But if you're uncomfortable with receiving the elements at this time, we also have the prepackaged communion. Here's why we're doing all this, because we want to do it together. Take the elements, be seated, and then we'll participate together in communion. But first, let's ask God to prepare our hearts. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as we share this bread and juice, let it be a sharing in Christ's body and blood, Christ's life and presence. And may we embody your life, love, presence, and healing in our homes, our community, and our world. Amen.